Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Calling Town City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. I'm pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sofa. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 528. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. We have an original story on Starship Sofa today. Yes, The Motivation Cure by R.K. Nickel. That is what's coming in today's show. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. So, Patreon. Last week we were 401. This week we are 403. Big, huge, huge thank you to the fine folks that came over. It was Andrew Bogot. Andrew, big mob. Ooh, just can you feel that bear hug, lad? Big, big bear hug. Thank you so honestly. Makes it just wonderful. And here we go. John Schatzman. John, is that right? Huge thank you, John. John, both you and Andrew. Thank you so much indeed. It's folks like you that are kind of coming over period and just Carrying the weight forward now, so appreciate it. And it's it's our march on ever towards 500 Patreon supporters. That would be amazing. So, we have got, like I say, a, an original story on Starship Sofa. The Motivation Cure by R.K. Nickel. R.K. Nickel works as a screenwriter in Los Angeles. His first feature film, man, the guy's got a feature film out. Bear With Us is available on Amazon Prime. And Stellar People, a sci-fi comedy series he wrote for Adaptive Studios, will be coming out sometime in 2018. He drove into his prose journey in 2017. My bloody hell, man! This is what got a film, got a TV series coming out in a year, during which he made six sales and was lucky enough to attend the Odyssey Writing Workshop. Okay, whatever you've got, whatever you've got there, whatever little magic you've got with writing, spread it around, man. Don't keep that one. When he's not writing, he's probably trapped in a room, either because he's doing an escape room or because he's locked in and he's broke the lock. Stupid lock. Like I say, I'm chuffed a bit this story is an original for Starship Sofa. It's narrated by Kyle Akers. Kyle Akers is a voice actor from Kansas City, Missouri. He has contributed to podcasts like Pseudopod, Chilling Tales for Dark Night and No Sleep Podcast. He also produces and performs his own improv podcast called The Counselor. Prior to voice acting, Kyle toured the country as a professional musician, singing and playing bass guitar for the electric pop band Antennas Up, which enjoyed 
success through several national television show placements and commercials. Since then, Kyle has dabbled in long-form improv and audio production while performing weekend gigs with the Kansas City cover band The Magnetics. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present The Motivation Cure by Russ Nickel An MFA in sculpture, and this is where I find myself. Rendering happy ones and zeros couples in blithe detail on my hollow screen. Their touched-up laughter sickeningly joyous. But at least the hunk of 3D-printed plastic will look great on top of their fucking wedding cake. I can't imagine having the time to plan a wedding. To make little charts and fight over invite lists and waste a life savings on the ribbon-wrapped invitations that keep the heartbeat of the postal service drumming. And I need to imagine. Emily reminds me of that often enough. We can't stay engaged forever, Mark. And I know she's right, but Jesus, I'm basically living off her charity. She's on her way up at her advertising agency, and even still we're barely scraping by. And that's with me spending nearly every night staying up late to make already happy couples that much happier. But it's okay. It'll be okay. There are only two more orders in the queue. Two more wedding cakes to top. Two more disingenuous, molded lies waving to adoring relatives from atop a layer of high-fructose, devil's food bullshit. I just need to power through the tedium, and then... Then I'll make something of my own. Now that, I can imagine. A perfect Venus. She's shimmered in my mind for so long. The curves of her torso, the shape of her cheeks... The depth of her eyes, the cut of her jaw, the feel of the rock. Her body made from alternating types of stone. Green to gray to blue and back again. A creature whose brilliance is beyond color and composition. Proving that beauty is in humanity itself. That's what it means to be a sculptor. A real sculptor. Capturing the human form. Like all the masters before me. That's the threshold. If I can complete her, then I'll know I've finally become what I was born to become. I'll finish the design, hit print. It'll take an hour, and in an effort to blunt my thoughts with a post-accomplishment burst of dopamine, I flip open social media. Nikhil. Of course it'd be fucking Nikhil smiling at me. A total loser of a freshman roommate. Talented, sure, Plenty of people are talented, but he never did anything with it. Until one day, he did. And then suddenly, he's Mr. Forbes, 30 under 30. And now, a few years later, he's raking in the GDP of Guadala someplace and posting pictures of him shaking hands with yet another CEO who's decided to use his back-end optimization tech nonsense. How do you do it? I message. I don't expect him to respond, but just as I'm opening the next wedding order... Bing. 230 West Mendeline Avenue. And then he logs off. An address? I'm turning it over in the back of my throat when Emily peers into the office. Mark? She's done up in a way that makes her feel confident. Precise eyeliner and plunging neckline. But I hardly even process how good she looks. All I can think is, shit, what am I forgetting? 
and that whatever it is, it means I'm not going to be finishing this job anytime soon. Hours lost, which means the order queue will get pushed, which means it's that much longer until I have any time for my Venus. Not to mention that every time I forget something, I can see that it kills her just a little. Our dinner reservations are in a half an hour. You'd better get dressed. Right. I'll do it right now. She smiles at me then, the way you smile when you're in love. I take another bite of steak. It's tender and juicy and cooked to perfection. We used to be more spontaneous, but at this point, Emily's taken to scheduling very specific date nights. She's good at adapting like that, finding ways to make life fun. I know I should be happy that she feels compelled to drag me into her optimism, but at the rate I charge for my work, this delicious fucking asparagus cost me 32 minutes. And that's just the asparagus. Babe? I look up with a grunt. I guess she's been talking. This whole meal, I've hardly been there. I've been on West Mendeline, bundling over what secrets the address could possibly hold. I was asking if you wanted to come to Melissa's birthday party at the end of the month. Best party every year. Open bar, live music, tray passed in your face extravagance. I'll just have to see how much I get done. Just let me know, she says, genuine understanding in her voice. She believes in me. You know, real flesh-and-blood belief. I'm nowhere near being able to give myself that kind of credit. But somehow she knows I'm going to be a famous sculptor one day. You sure you don't want any wine? But before I can answer, bing, I look down at my wrist display. Another order just came in. Another order. I should stay sharp. The dinner passes pleasantly, if slowly. And when we get home, Emily drags me to the bedroom, slipping out of her dress faux seductively. She throws herself into some impressive foreplay, and eventually, as I'm performing my perfunctory thrusts, I stare down at Emily's face until it somehow becomes indistinct. Her moan's distant, and suddenly she's not Emily. She's that three-dimensional model suspended on my hollow screen. Nothing but a plastic figurine permanently delighted. That night I dream of her, my Venus, stone becoming flesh. She haunts me, standing as if across a great chasm, tangible yet unreachable, a beauty veiled by darkness and distance. She seems to whisper, to beckon, and in the swirling way of dreams I think I can make it out. Mendeline. I wake up to another email, another order, more couples to render and print and deliver. I've tried raising my prices, but the free market sends them looking somewhere else. I'll never finish, will I? I'll get close, but before I can work on her, another will come in. And another. And so on and so on until I'm nothing but a rotting corpse who's never done anything. I won't be Nikio. I certainly won't be Michelangelo. I won't be anyone. And what reason would Emily have to be with me then? But the address, the address, what does it mean? It burns in me, a twisted, mysterious hope that presses inward, slowly shaping the clay of my desires. The car drops me off. I step out. In front of me gleams a futuristic tech campus, all glass and light and pomp, so much brighter than I imagined. 
a menagerie of clear windows concealing nothing. I nearly turn around, feeling foolish. This place houses no secrets, hides no answers among the dusted shelves of its basement. But before I can go, I hear a, yo. He's young, probably in his twenties. And in his chic suit, he looks like what you get when a CEO bangs his secretary on a golf course. God, another kid who's probably worth a handful of millions. Driving up in a golf cart. You must be interested in the procedure, he says. Parking, stepping out, and extending a hand. Tyler, saw you arrive on the security cam. I can see his eyes now, and there's something unsettling about them. Like they extend too far back. A pair of dark holes that sink into his brain. The inside is a modern palace, and holograms of famous clients smile and wave all the way down the halls. Just a few of the people we've helped, says Tyler, gesturing to their opioid faces. I recognize nearly half of them. Social media gurus, emperors of hotel companies, holotech, renewable energy, politics, all of it. And more importantly, artists. Famous musicians, writers, actors. Beside them, the entire place is devoid of life. Holy shit. Yeah, that's pretty much the appropriate reaction. So you want to get yourself on the wall? Nikhil told us you were talented. He explains the procedure as we walk down the hall, flanked by the smiling teeth the size of my head. It's all very proprietary, but you know when you get a burst of adrenaline, it's like time slows down. You're hyper-focused, able to accomplish whatever you set your mind to. Well, we found a way to tap into that. To take away the distractions. To make you better so you can be the you that you want to be. He swipes a keycard to a scanner and we walk into a new section. Much less ostentatious, it looks like a lab. Slick, white, and filled with machinery. Researchers move the rooms without interaction. A network of focused automatons carrying scans or bits of flesh. Strange wires dangle from the ceilings, come up from the floor, as if the building were some tentacled monster turned inside out. It's different for everyone. Very complex, he continues. Gotta knock you out for a couple hours, do a complete mapping of your brain, all the neural roots, see which ones we can boost, how exactly we can overclock you. It's super safe, though. We've had a 100% success rate. I actually had it done myself. He points behind his ear where I can see a tiny blinking diode. I look around. They all have the diodes. A blue flashing pinprick harmony, on, off, dark light. Suddenly I feel like I have to get out of here. There's something off in this place, something clinical. Alien. It's all very impressive, but I probably can't afford it. I turn to go, hoping they'll let me out. It's free, Tyler says matter-of-factly, as if he couldn't care less what I decided. I keep walking, but Tyler steps in front of me, so perhaps he does care. But it's the care of a salesman who needs to get his numbers up. No, a salesman whose numbers are fine, but who hates the idea of losing. Yeah, yeah, there's no such thing as a free lunch, whatever, he says. So it's not free. It's actually stupidly expensive, but there's no upfront cost. Basically, every one of our clients is an investment. We're so sure our product is going to work that we don't charge anything. But if in the next year your income at least doubles from where it is now, then we just take 5% annually. He pauses, seeing the uncertainty on my face. Fuck, I mean, it's working, right? He gestures around him as if to say it's all the proof he needs. 
Bing. It is all the proof he needs. The next thing I know, I'm lying naked on a surgical table, with a bevy of scientists leaning over me, calibrating machines, attaching electrodes to my head. It's a lot to take in. They gave me a couple of pills, so it's all getting a bit fuzzy. The scientists are losing shape. And mostly I'm just happy that douchebag Tyler is gone. Just before I lose consciousness, I see her. Standing over me. And I feel nice. And warm and... Safe. I wake up in my own bed. Strange. But when I look into the bathroom mirror, there they are. Tiny diodes glowing faintly blue. I don't feel any different, but who knows? They said it might take a while for my brain to adjust, so for right now I simply return to work. I could begin my masterpiece, but I figure I'll start once this thing kicks into gear. When Emily gets home, she immediately notices the soft blue glow, and I tell her it's something I read about that's supposed to help me keep focused. She makes fun of me, but accepts it. That night, Emily cooks chicken and zucchini. It tastes amazing. I take the time to watch an episode of television with her, which I pretty much never do anymore, and we laugh together. It feels good to laugh together. The moment the episode is over, we fall into bed, and it's actually passionate. I can sense that hope again. I thought I'd lost it. Afterward, we fall asleep in each other's arms. I dream of her again, my layered Venus. She stands across the chasm, that temptress of achievement. But this time she strides toward me, stepping over the inky blackness, and a bridge appears beneath her feet, ethereal, a swirling, fragile thing, seemingly sculpted from clouds, the clouds of passion, of drive, of persistence. Step after step, she gets closer, nearly within reach. When I wake, I feel more rested, and I'm up before Emily. That's new. Shit, this is different. I can feel it. A strange energy. A mild tingling that reverberates in my brain. Today is going to be productive, damn it. I throw on my clothes. Real clothes today, not my usual pajamas. And wolf down some cereal. By the time Emily gives me a kiss, tells me she loves me more than the stars and heads out to work. I'm already halfway through the next newlywed design. And it's not half bad, honestly. I rag on this job, but I'm good at what I do. Five stars on Yelp and plenty of traffic on my website. Never had an unhappy customer. When Emily gets home, I've completed two models start to finish. I've never done that before. It's awesome. It means only three in the queue, and at this rate, I'll be done in no time. Emily makes another great dinner, and I can tell she's happy. When I ask her why, she gives me that warm smile, and I fall in love with her all over again. It's just nice to see you so happy. That night, instead of starting the next design, I end up checking out my site. It gets the job done. There's a nice portfolio up there, but the purchase flow isn't that great, and there's very little SEO. If I could make the site just a little better, I'm sure I could finally raise my prices. Higher prices, fewer designs per week for the same income, more time for Venus. Fuck it. I set aside today's earnings and spend the night researching web designers. I don't go to bed until 4am, but it's fine because I've hired a web guy. 
I wake up at nine and again, I'm pretty rested, which is weird because I usually need about seven hours. A couple orders come in, but I'm not worried because I know they're some of the last orders I'll get at this price point and I'll get them done pretty quickly anyway. It feels good to be this productive. And before I know it, Emily's home again. Shit, I didn't even eat lunch. And what's weirder, I'm not even that hungry. When I finally sleep, my Venus steps off the bridge. And the next thing I know, she's upon me. I'm inside her, lying there just beyond the blackness. She's riding me, and despite being composed of stone, there's an incredible warmth to her. It's a pleasure I've never felt before. My God. It goes on and on. She's indefatigable. And so am I. An intermingling of art and artist. She's mine. And in my dream state, I've built her flawlessly. A more perfect expression of art than even David. An achievement of her own class. Incomparable. Her gray and green breasts are purpose beneath my hands. Her rock lips grate against mine. This is existence. There's an obliteration to our lovemaking. A total numbing void as I pour all of myself into her, filling her with the seed of passion. A couple more orders come in the next day. They're referrals because the last nuptial lovers were amazed by my turnaround time, but it's fine. I skip breakfast and hunker down. That night the web guy responds. He didn't have a lot going on that week, so he's already finished. Clean, web 2.0, and everything I could ever want. I double my prices. And you know what? The next day, I get a couple of orders. At double the fucking price. Jesus, Tyler, man. That idiot knew what he was talking about. Over the next couple weeks, I settle into a routine. And what a routine it is. Whatever those guys did, it's insane. I pretty much don't sleep, and when I do, I dream of her. Always her. Plus, all those bullshit distractions are just gone. It's easy to ignore social media, and I never use food as an excuse to get away from my computer. Pretty much the only eating I ever do is with Emily, which is nice, but the rest of the time I'm kicking ass. It's incredible. I quintuple my prices. The way I figure it, when I start work on her, I want to be able to fully commit myself to it. She wouldn't turn out right if I had to craft her piecemeal. Inspiration is sinking your teeth in and tearing with your muzzle, fighting through the blood until you're left with what you want. It's not chipping away here and there. That's sad. I feel bad for those people. The kind of people who say they're going to write a novel and they write one page a day. They're not writers. They're delusional fools. So I'm going to earn my money. And when I've got enough saved up, I'll take a break and focus on nothing but her until the Venus of my dreams is made flesh beneath my fingers. Mark, Emily says, bleary-eyed, as I climb into bed for a quick catnap. It's five in the morning. Sorry I woke you. No, it's fine. But she doesn't roll over the way she usually does. What is it, babe? Is everything okay? She asks. I'm taken aback. Yeah, things are finally starting to work out. I just wanted to make sure, since, you know. I'm racking my brain, but I have no idea what she's talking about. Well, we haven't, you know, we haven't done it in a while. 
I don't think it's ever been this long before, except when I was in New York, but, you know. Shit. She's right. I honestly hadn't even thought about it. Wow. We'd been together a long time, but our sex life was one thing that had managed to stay pretty consistent. And come to think of it, I hadn't even masturbated. I'm sorry, I say. Work has been going so well and I've been so focused. I don't know. I guess my head is just elsewhere. I'm proud of you, babe. I am. She squeezes my hand. You think you might start sculpting something? Jesus, why the third degree? So I've been focused. What of it? I finally started paying my share of the rent. Isn't that what she wanted? All I say is... Absolutely. Just building up a bit of a nest egg first. That way when I dive in, I'll be able to give it 100%. Okay, she says. But she's not smiling. She's not smiling. I've rarely seen her this worried. I mean, we've had our rocky moments, but this... And then she turns away from me. I know I should be scared shitless. On a purely rational level, I know I should want to deal with it. I should turn her back over. I should apologize. I should make a change. But I don't have any desire to. I search inside myself, and all those doubts I think I ought to find, they're simply missing. So I close my eyes. Thirty minutes later, I'm back at work. That weekend, I get a video call. It's Tyler. Just checking in on you. Standard procedure. He abbreviates procedure. It's infuriating. So, everything you ever hoped? It is. And I gladly fork over the 5%. Who was that? Emily asks when he hangs up. The guy who sold me the focus things. Customer survey. She doesn't believe me. Mark, come to Melissa's with me. Is that today? I ask. I had plans for today. Today was going to be big. You know that it is. To be honest, I didn't know. I kind of have some things to do. It wasn't a request. We get to Melissa's and once again she's gone all out. There's a VR cube for the kids. And for the adults she's hired a catering company. All the booze you can drink and endless trays of delectable bite-sized morsels. There are lawn games and great music and my favorite people. And I can't enjoy any of it. It's not like before, when I was stressed. This is something else. The food looks great, objectively, but I'm just not hungry. I barely touch dinner anymore, and since I'm not really eating anything, I honestly pretty much don't go to the bathroom, which is weird. And part of me would love to have a drink, but somehow I don't quite feel like it. As the party progresses, people start to dance. And Emily tries to drag me to the dance floor with a kiss, but now it's her lips that feel like stone. I can hardly sense them. I can hardly taste her. It's like the nerves have dried up and can only give me the most basic information. I can sense a pressure there, but it's inert, devoid of any spark. She can sense it too, and she immediately pulls away. No, I'll dance, I protest, wanting nothing more than to want to dance. But her face is dark, darker than it's ever been. I'm going to get another glass of wine. And that's the beginning of the end. Since I was too busy yesterday with the party, today I enact my plan. My company's taking off. That's right, I incorporated. And at this point, I have enough saved up that I can actually hire people. So I put out an ad, and of course, I raise my prices. 
By the end of the week, I have three employees doing all the designs and modeling for me. And I'm pretty much the number one guy for 3D printed wedding cake toppers. It's a niche, but it's a niche that I have conquered. I haven't started on her yet, but at least I know I don't have to do any more shitty models for shitty people. Now I'm in charge of my own destiny. I make phone calls and set up appointments and track high-profile clients. But things have grown cold in our house. And I can sense it. That creeping of the glacier. Soon the walls are coated in a frost that affects every moment between us. I want to fix it. I desperately want to fix it. But that's not true. I don't want to. I know I need to, but no matter how hard I try, I can't make myself want to. I'm trapped, raging against the shell of my own motivation. I think maybe we were wrong, she says, wine trembling in hand. What do you mean? I push back from my desk and stand to face her. About this? About us? You don't mean that. If we were meant to be, her voice breaks. Jesus, it should be soul-crushing, that faltering, choking cadence. We'd be married already. We talked about this. We just need to build the right foundation. All our friends just jump into things. It's crazy. Maybe it's not so crazy. Maybe love... Fuck, I sound cliche. But maybe love is a leap of faith, Mark. She takes a sip of her wine. It seems to steady her. And we'll take it. No, she says. No, I don't think we will. In grad school, you dreamt things, but now it's just... It's gone, that part of you. I look into your eyes and instead of light, I just see a pair of dark holes. Oh. Shit. I'm going to stay at my sister's for a while. Maybe look for a place. Baby, no. Emily. I really thought we were going to make something. The door closes and I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything I don't feel anything. I scream, and the sound reverberates through my soul, doing its best to wake up some dormant part of me. There's no eruption, but the tiniest crack forms, and what heat is able to escape causes me to take a step back and consider the rising steam. What the fuck am I doing? All those distractions I'd managed to avoid, those were life. That was living. Itching from walking barefoot in the grass. Shoulders peeling after hours at the beach. Ordering too much junk food after a long day. Drinking water from a hose when you're far from home. Dancing to a song you shouldn't like as much as you do. Running your hands through your fiancé's hair. Breathing in the scent of wood smoke around a bonfire. Talking and laughing and drinking and seeing and fucking and eating and feeling. Molding wet clay between your fingers. Toes curling steadily up and down on the pedal as an intricate vase takes shape beneath your hands. I ripped the diodes from behind my ears, short wires bloody from where they'd plugged into me. I crushed them underfoot. No more. No more. That night I don't sleep, and it's not because I'm filled with emotion. It's because I don't need to. That I'm not hungry or thirsty. I'm still not anything. The next day, nothing's changed. So I go back to 230 West Mendeline Avenue. 
Change me back, I say. Doesn't work like that. Sorry, dude. I took out the diodes. Tyler laughs, and it's a thin steel sound full of derision. You think that's going to change anything? Those diodes don't do shit. They're just there to make the clients feel like it's working in the early stages. This is inside of you, Mark. It's a part of you. I don't want it. I want to go back. Tyler talks to me as if I'm a petulant child. You know that's not true. It's true. I'm practically screaming. You don't want anything, Mark. Not anymore. Except to succeed. And I crumple. Because he's right. I'm only saying I want to go back because I know it's what I should want. I felt it all slip through my fingers and I did nothing. I reveled in it. Come on, he beckons me. I want to show you something. I follow him. I have no idea what else I'm supposed to do. This time he takes me through a different door. An elevator, descending. It goes down and down and down, below glass, beneath light, to somewhere under, where the air grows thick and musty and warm. Finally it settles. We step out onto some sort of observation deck. Oh my god, I say. Because stretching out below me as far as I can see, there are row after row after row after row of Chinese workers. And each of them is filled with machinery. Wires slashing into their naked bodies, weaving in and out of their skin and muscle, and winding up to a rigging that hangs over the entire warehouse. The top halves of their skulls have been removed, replaced with some sort of plastic, and their brains are filled with wire and electrodes. We started in China. They're not really sticklers for regulation. And when we came over here, well, it was cheaper to just bring the meat with us. Plus, their government doesn't really miss them. We descend a long staircase, and I can take it all in more clearly now. To my left, scores of them sleep in lines of perfectly spaced hammocks, machinery rolling their bodies when necessary. To my right, even more run endlessly on treadmills, a perfect grid of exercise, nutrients funneled straight into their bloodstream to keep them going. I keep walking, and beyond the runners, dozens of them fuck on a series of too close beds, a sweaty mixing mass of bodies. There's no pleasure in it. It is simply a ceaseless cycle of penetration and orgasm. Penetration and orgasm, as much as their bodies can take. The floor is covered in bodily fluids. Just then, sprinklers go off in that section of the room, washing it all to one side, where it's vacuumed up by one of the overhanging machines. Once the sprinklers turn off, tubes squirt lubricant onto them, and they resume. Past those... Nearly a hundred of them sit in front of a literal conveyor belt, shoveling food into their mouths. It's sickening. I walk up to one of the naked women, wires bursting from her breast and stomach, and watch as the conveyor belt brings her a slice of pizza, which she lifts to her mouth with a frightful calm. She devours it, grease dribbling down her chin, mingling with grease from other food. I follow as it leaks down onto her belly button. She and those around her are nearly unrecognizable as human. Rather, they are immobile blobs of sweat and fat. Virtual vats of ingestion. After that, about forty of them sit on buckets, pissing and shitting, pissing and shitting. Sometimes it splatters onto the wires that burst uncomfortably from their legs and urethras. And when a bucket is full, they place it on yet another conveyor belt, which whisks it away, and a new one lands in its place. The warehouse goes on and on and on. 
Finally, I throw up, but nothing comes out. Nothing has gone in in weeks. Everything you need, they do. We were the first to discover that at the atomic level, basic bodily function is simply strands of information, a set of conversions and instructions. Once we knew that, it was simple enough to figure out how to transfer said information. He grabs one by the wires as he says this. Not much hotter than Wi-Fi, really. The only problem is you can't fake it. It has to be generated. And thus, the warehouse was born. This is impossible. You didn't think a little diode would really let you ignore everything your body needed, did you? There's no such thing as a free lunch, remember? There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody always has to pay the price, dude. I'll find a way to stop it, I say without conviction. I have no conviction left. And I stopped dreaming, really dreaming, ages ago. Tyler ignores me. You know what my favorite part is? It's a literal sweatshop. Your body needs to sweat, so we have people whose job it is to literally sweat. Look. He points and I see a group of people closed off in matching glass ceilings. There's steam everywhere, but I can still make out the bodies inside, pouring sweat. This is the future, Mark, he continues. I've accepted it. Hell, you're lucky. You're one of the successful ones. And it takes a lot of them to run one of you. Fortunately, like I said, they come cheap. And then I see them. Past all the horror. A few of them. They're sculpting. Calloused hands running over soft, wet clay. And there's more back there in the darkness, writing, painting, building, loving, singing. Everything you need. Everything you need. When I finally make it home, I swear to myself that I will do something. I don't know what, but it'll be something. I have to do something. I can't just let them get away with it. It's evil. But there's so much work to do. My company owns the entire floor. Desk after desk after desk after desk after desk. People sitting in their chairs, hunched over their computers. Typing, typing, typing. Focused on their tasks. On their one task. Each of them has a specific function. That job I hired them to do. And together we're able to truly create something. Together we run the top earning wedding company in the country. It's a wonderful thing to behold. I walk past someone squinting at her screen, eyes glued to her work, and then past another, and another, and another. Almost endless. Eventually I reach my desk and sit at my own computer. I made this. I made this with my bare hands. I remember something then about my hands. It's something vague and I can't quite reach it. Something about the cold earth beneath my fingertips. And a form almost starts to take shape. But before it can coalesce, bing. Ah, a new client, I think. Very exciting. I turn to my computer only to see that it's a message from an old college friend. I don't normally take the time to respond, but my mind is still stuck on my fingertips. Trapped halfway in long, forgotten thought. And I open the message. How do you do it? It reads. I ponder this for a moment, and then... 230 West Mandoline Avenue. There you go. Don't forget, copyright is Arcane Nickel. Thank you so much indeed. Nice to have an original every now and again. 
And Kyle. Oh, yes, what can I say, lad? Oh, thank you so much. Just kind of icing on the cake to get that, that story and to have it kind of produced like that. Thank you so much. So that is, I think that's all I've got to kind of say. Did what? Oh, I did have, I was going to tell you something. I was, we were away for the weekend. We went to the, the other side of the UK, Penrith, where I kind of, we've got friends over there. And we went over there for a, a nice little kind of fancy meal. One of those fancy, you know, them fancy meals where you get fancy portions. Little, <laughs> you know, and the lad likes his food. That's all I can say. Do you know what I mean? And, we went in and it was actually someone's house living room that you went in, you know, and we've had to book this. This has been ongoing for about a year to go to this restaurant. My fault, shifts had to cancel it, but me and my good wife went over, met friends, and we went to this. And this has got nothing to do with the kind of little story I was going to tell you, but I'll, I'm setting the scene. We went over there and, like I say, we went into this living room and there was like four tables and it was like quiet, and there was couples sitting there, and I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be a bit strange. And you had to bring your own drink as well. So lucky enough, we had a big old carrier bag full of, I think, four bottles of wine, a couple of bottles of Prosecco, and a couple of lagers, just in case, you know what I mean, take the edge off if I needed it. And I didn't, and there was no lager, you know, a bottle of lager, it was, oh, no, you know, take your lager to this. So I just kind of had one sly one, and then I was on the Prosecco. But anyway... We knew it was going to be like, you know, small portions. And we went there at half seven. Man, we were there till 11 o'clock and I was stuffed. And it was amazing. And I'm not joking, like, when you say small portions, I don't know if it was, I'm guessing it was the whole experience that eventually you, you get filled up, you know. And it started off with these little cocktail sticks, with these tiny little, tiny little half a mushroom. But the flavour was just like it was almost orgasmic. Do you know what I mean? It was like, oh my God. And then we had our little starters. And when I'm saying little starters, I'm talking about two tablespoons worth of, of food on your plate. And then, which, which was chicken for me, some sort of kind of chicken. But oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> just like the triple was coming down. And then my main meal, you know, because I was still, I was, you know, I was still not full then, my main meal come. And it was just a couple of few, say three slices of meat, pork, I had different varieties of pork, and a scoop, one little scoop of turnip and one slither of onion. That was it. Oh, man. And I'm thinking to myself, this isn't right, man. I'm going the lad's going to be hungry, man. That's going to go and have to get a sandwich afterwards. And I got halfway through it. And I'm guessing it was the richness and, the, like I say, the length of the, the time it took and the, and the drink, you know, was good. There was enough drink. But then we had another meal, like another course. They the, the, the just brought in stuff, do you know what I mean? And then we had puddings, which was just crumble. <laughs> and then there was cheese, like a cheese board. And then there was something else, chocolates and, and coffee as well. And, oh, man, it was just... I don't often do them kind of, you know, like the, 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 it's been few and far between. But I can't, hey, man. But this is getting into the story. We went the next year, because like I say, we stayed over there at friend's house in Penrith. We went to this kind of little, it was a, basically a, well, like a, what looked like a, a cow barn, you know, but it was a bric-a-brac stall. And in there, there was a bookshop, a second-hand bookshop. And in that second-hand bookshop, there was a science fiction fan, yeah. Yes, and I just was like, he had, 
a set of moorcocks. You know, the, the moorcock paperbacks, you see the odd one kind of kicking around from the, the 1970s, you know, the 1970s style. I had, he had, a, oh, I don't know, about 15 of them. I got all them. He, ha, he had, every, you know what I mean? Just like crucial ones. You thought, oh, he had Christopher Priest, like, and I've never seen like the, the kind of the old paperbacks of when Chris Priest was, you know, the, the short story collection. I got that. He had oodles of like really old kind of Philip K. Dick ones. There was all, oh man. And he, you know, he, was, he says, oh, he says, we don't often get Moorcock fans. And he says, the few and far between. Well, <laughs> you know, he was just, yeah. So I've got all these bloody tatty old paperbacks now. It's about 15 to 20 of them next to the bed. And <laughs> get rid of them. They're stinking. You know, that kind of old paperback smell. So there you go. My little escapade over to the Lake District. Moorcock is in the Lake. He's big in the Lake District in the UK. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. Like I said, do come on, man. Do support us. Just a couple of dollars a week. Just kind of bedrocks. If everybody did that, do you know what I mean? A couple of dollars. Yeah, I ain't in now for the cash. You know, we're kind of we're looking after ourselves. I just want to make sure... If a biggin drops off, and, you know, we've had some nice biggins drop off, and you can understand, you know, it's a lot of money kind of support. With. But if everyone's just putting a couple of quid, you know what I mean? <gasps> Till next week. I'm stop clapping. It makes such a noise on me. Wavelength, man. <laughs> Until then, just like to say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. I don't get that much. I've barely left the ground. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm
Get out there by and by I'll get out there by 